So Romans chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 16, page 1128. And as we read, we remember that this is not just, a, not just any book, but it is what God says. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Amen. Well, tonight we have this question, what is my purpose? No small question for us this evening, but we're looking forward to delving into it together. So if you do have your Bible, Romans chapter 1, and we will pick up different things from it as we make our way through here this evening. So here's someone's story. I found this this week. It was from a girl, and she writes this. I was sitting on my bed, and I was feeling thoroughly sorry for myself. It's not that life had fallen apart. It was more that it hadn't quite come together. On one level, things looked okay. My job was secure, my rent was cheap, and life was busy. And yet, I was desperately bored at work, secretly lonely, 
Nothing was really wrong, but nothing felt quite right. Whatever I had imagined adult life would be like, this wasn't it. I couldn't help but ask myself, is this it? What is my purpose? So I wonder if you find yourself asking that same question. Perhaps at the quarter-life crisis or at the half-life crisis or at the three-quarter-life crisis, if that's such a thing. At certain moments in our life, this question comes into our mind. Now, we try to insulate ourselves from it. We try to push this question away. But it's a question that we have to answer. We look around our house. We look at the fridge. The fridge has a purpose. We look at the washing machine. The washing machine has a purpose. And we look at ourselves and we think, what is my purpose? These things that are made by human hands of purposes, but what is my purpose? What am I here for? And your life, well, what does your life feel like? You know that little game that you, you play where uh, the little moles pop their heads up out of the little holes and you're, you're trying to bash those uh, and knock the little moles down? That kind of feels like life, doesn't it? Life's a bit, a bit crazy. You're, you're trying to deal with the certain jobs in your life and you're, you're tapping one and you're tapping the other and you're, you're trying to balance all of these things. Life's a little bit crazy. You're punching in your nine-to-five job and it's like your life's on repeat. Week after week after week. And you live for the little highs. And you live for the weekend. And then it comes to Sunday and you get the the Monday blues as they're about to dawn on you. And you do it all over again. And then you maybe get a week's holidays. And you think to yourself, why am I doing this? What is this all about? Or perhaps like most of us, you sat at home on Monday... And you watched the the seemingly everlasting Queen Elizabeth II, who we all thought would just be here forever. We watched her funeral. And we watched her mortal remains be led to rest. And then that moment, where in Westminster, her crown was lifted off her coffin, and the scepter was lifted off it, and the orb was lifted off it and removed. She lived She reigned, she served, but just as the grass withers and the flower fades, so did her life. And so we think to ourselves, is this how it all ends? Is this it? Even for one of the greatest people, is this it? Do I have a purpose? Am I here for something? Do I matter? Well, into this confusion, because we haven't quite nailed down the answer to this question, what happens? Well, we descend into a big game of competing against one another. Because we can't find our purpose, because we can't get our hands on the answer to it, what do we do? Well, we make it our purpose to compete against one another. And so we turn life into competition. How much do they have compared to me? Can I get more than them? We need to have a better car than they do. We need to go on a better holiday than what they've been on. We need to experience more than what they've done. Did you see what they put up on Instagram? Did you see what they put up on Facebook? We need to outdo them. We try to do uh, the one-up thing on everybody else that we encounter in life. And so we compete and we compare. We desire other people's stuff. We desire their status or their spouse or their money or their job or their house or their Instagram life or their body or their intelligence or their personality. See the mess that we're getting ourselves into as we start to try and answer this question? 
And so into this substandard life that we all have imagined for ourselves, with all of our unachieved dreams, what do we decide to do? Well, we all decide to just give up. We decide to give up and to distract ourselves with pleasure. And so we settle. What's our purpose? Well, we'll say it's to be happy or to be comfortable. To be happy or to be comfortable. But surely there has to be more. Happiness, we all know, is fleeting. And being comfortable, well, that's elusive. So we arrive at a point where we need help. We need help here this evening. Surely someone has the answer to what is our purpose. So, with that in mind, let's go to three respected thinkers, and a quote will come up on the screen. First, this man called Baran Russell. He wrote this. What's the meaning to life? As he understood the universe, he said, it's purposeless and void of meaning, that we're all destined to extinction. Let's move on. Let's go to Richard Dawkins. What did Richard Dawkins have to say about the universe? Well, this is what he said. He said, there's no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Thinker one, thinker two, let's see the third. The third's more stark. Alex Rosenberg says this, what is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? Ditto. Does history have any meaning or purpose? It's full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So that's not exactly what we're hoping for, okay? We'd go to the world, we'd look at the world's thinkers, we'd listen to them, these guys who have published many books, who are respected in the world, and what are they trying to tell us? The meaning of life? Purposeless. You have no meaning. So at this moment, a riot could break out in Hill Street, because if we've got no meaning, what do we think to ourselves? Well, if somebody's got a nice jacket, well, I'd maybe just have it. There's no point to life. There's no meaning to life. Nigel's saying about bringing stuff back. Well, sure, if we like a pew, sure, we'll just take a pew with us on the way out tonight. If there's no meaning, if there's no point to life, well, we can do what we want, can't we? And so our answers are falling short. Now, someone might say this. Someone might say, well, What's my purpose? Well, I've chosen to commit myself to discovering a cure for cancer. It's my decision, and that gives me meaning and purpose. My life does indeed have a goal, and that goal I have determined for myself, and therefore I've made my life significant and valuable. So on the face of it, that sounds really good. Someone devotes themselves to something that's really uh, quite remarkable, discovering a cure for cancer or investing their whole life into charity work. Sounds plausible and attractive. We can make our lives meaningful if we choose to live in a certain way by choosing to embrace worthy goals. Pick something and put your life into it. Save the planet or the tennis club, or your career, or your children, or whatever it is that you decide. Now, the problem is with this, if we choose this line of thinking, if we follow this line of thinking, where does that all end up? Well, it it, it sort of all starts to break down because anyone could decide the meaning for their own life. 
And they could pick absolutely anything. So, hence the picture of crisps. We could sit around all day and decide that my meaning, the meaning of my life is going to be that I can consume lots of potato crisps. And I'm going to watch TV. That's the meaning for my life. And that would have equal balance to the people who are trying to find a cure for cancer. Self-diagnosed meaning. Or to take a serious turn, imagine a person who sat on murder. They're entitled to take that decision that they would make the meaning of their life to destruct and to destroy other people's lives. And so once we realize this view, then we have to treat Hitler's appointed purpose on an equal level with our own. So now it doesn't sound all that appealing, does it? So we've surveyed the world. We've looked at their thinkers. We've looked at some self-made wisdom about how we can give ourselves meaning. And I think it's fair to say these answers are inadequate, unsatisfactory. Because we as human beings are here tonight, and what do we beg? We beg that someone would make sense of our story. That someone would make sense of what's going on, the feelings that we have deep inside of our chest, the things that we long for. We want to know what our purpose is. A Christian author wrote this, that once we remove God, once we take God out of the, the answer to this question, what is it like? Well, it's like a man made of water in an infinite bottomless ocean of water trying to climb out of the water by building a ladder of water. Right? It's not going to go anywhere. A man made of water in a bottomless ocean full of water trying to make a ladder out of water to get himself out of the water. It's not going to go anywhere. And so we have to go to the meaning. And where are we going to find it? Romans chapter 1. What is the purpose to life? And if you're sitting here tonight and you believe that your life has meaning, if you sense that it must have meaning, then you're absolutely right. Your life does have meaning. It does have a purpose but it can't come from within. Your meaning, your purpose, your happiness can only come from one source, and that is the Creator. The one who made you. And so your purpose is simply this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your purpose is to know God, to enjoy God, and then to reflect God. To know God, to enjoy God, and then to reflect God. So let's step our way through this. We are made, part of your purpose is to know God. Look at it in verse 20 of Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God has been revealed. We're made to know Him, to have intimacy with Him. Now, as a young boy, I remember being, take, being taken along with my school class to the, the pantomime. Each and every year, you got a school trip to the pantomime. And for us, it was a big trip. You got onto the big bus, the big yellow board bus, and you made a, the massive journey from uh, Richmond School, primary school, Scott Street, over to the Marketplace Theatre in Armagh. 
and you thought that you were in the West End. You go into this, uh, this theater and it's all new and it smells different and looks different and they've got their, their little flippy down seats and you think this is unbelievable and you're sitting there as a primary school child and you're waiting for the show to unfold, the pantomime in front of you. And you watch this, you're, you're, you're starstruck as, as all of the, the characters come onto the stage and they start to sing. But, but as a little boy, what was I obsessed with whenever I went along to a show to the pantomime? I was obsessed with what was going on behind the stage. You know, you see the, 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 the set sort of come across or a piece start to float up into mid, mid-air and, and lights come on and off and sound on and off. And, and you're watching all of this and you're thinking... Who's conducting this all? What's going on? How does this all piece together and work? Well, as a primary school child, I was longing to find the answer. And whenever I arrived at Clowney Junior High School, Mr. Kennedy was there, Clark Kennedy, wherever he is, somewhere here tonight. Clark was there. And Clark put up a, a little sheet on the notice board, additions welcome, Oklahoma. And I thought to myself, this is the chance. <laughs> now I'm going to find out what happens. Now I'm going to find out what happens behind the stage. Who directs all of this? How it all comes together? It fascinated me. Now Clark was very generous and let me take part in the play, although he, I was sharing earlier. <laughs> he did tell me, John, if you just don't sing all that loud, that'd be great for us. He claimed it was because my voice was breaking. I just think I couldn't sing, so it was very gracious of Clark. But whenever you got into the school play, what was I able to see? I was able to see behind the stage. And in Clowney Junior High School, if you got behind the stage, there was this black wall, and it was like a rule of honor, written in tipax. Everybody who had been backstage, all their names up there. And, and you felt special. You were able to see what was going on. So much so, one of my friends asked me, would I write his name up on it whenever I was writing mine? And I misspelled his name, so for three years it was up on the wall, the wrong spelling. But we were, we were delighted to be backstage to see, to know what was going on. And that's a little image of what is going on inside of our hearts and inside of our minds as human beings. What do we want to see? We want to see behind the stage of life, as it were. There's something in us that yearns to know what goes on behind the curtain, to see how the director is working, how he's bringing it all together, to know more, to know more about his ways, to know more about the workings, to know the director, to know the author, to know the one who is weaving all of history together. You see, we're made to know God. And so, All human beings have been created with this desire to attach ourselves in some way to this majestic being, this glorious being, something eternal and with significance. We want to know God. So think about the Bible. How does the Bible begin and end? What are the bookends of the Bible? Genesis Man and God dwell together. They walk together. They know one another. They're in relationship with each other. Then sin tears that apart. But in Revelation, what did we hear this morning as we came to worship? Revelation 21, the dwelling place of God will be with man forever. God and man made to know one another. That's why God makes us to be in relationship with himself. So Francis Schaeffer says this, man is made in the image of God, and man has a purpose. 
to be in relationship with God. Once man forgets his purpose, thus he forgets who he is and what life means. Once we remove God from the picture, what happens? We start to spiral, don't we? We start to descend. We start to descend into despair. We start to descend into a place where it's one's man or one woman's wisdom against the other person's wisdom. No one has a directive. No one has a supreme truth to live by. And so we end up shrugging our shoulders and saying, we have no purpose. What's this all about? But instead tonight we want to say, life is all about God knowing us and us knowing God. Now, perhaps that sounds a little bit distant, doesn't it? Knowing about something or someone, a little bit cold, a little bit dry. But you can't know someone without experiencing them. Sure you can't. Whenever you interact with someone, it's an experience. You interact with them and you feel things. They either exhaust you or they fill you. They either make you feel happy and they make you feel sad. But it's an experience as human beings talk to one another. And so it is whenever we get to know our God. It's an experience. It's a, an experience of our whole bodies and minds and hearts as we encounter Him. Made for intimacy. Created to know Him. To worship Him. Look at verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What do human beings do? Although we have this knowledge, this, this, this inbuilt desire for God, what do we do? We try to push it away. We try to ignore it. We try to make excuses like we heard about tonight in Neil's story, excuse after excuse after excuse, week after week after week. We don't want to encounter God. We want to find some other cheap fraud fixed to this desire in our hearts. And what will happen is we'll try broken thing after broken thing Something that will sell us, sell us short again and again and again. We've been designed for relationship. Right from the beginning. But where did it all go wrong? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, God saw everything. And he saw man. And what did he say? It was good. Very good. But the problem comes in Genesis chapter 3 where sin destroys this. This is our problem tonight. As we try to find our purpose, it's as if, it's as if sin has put a smoke screen in front of our eyes. That, that sin has started to cloud our hearts and our minds. Keeps us from God. Seeing who He is. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, what do they do? They rebel against God. They think that they have discovered a better purpose. As they listen to the serpent, chapter 3 and verse 5, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. They wanted more. And they wanted their own way. Romans 1, 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him 
They don't give him thanks. And what do they do? They're claiming to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They had the world on a string. And what do they do? They mess it up. Look at verse 18 of Romans 1. What do men and women do? What do we do? We suppress the truth. We suppress it by our wickedness. We don't want to know God in that sense. We want to push him away. We don't want to come to this truth. And we discard the creator. And once we throw the creator out the window of our lives, we throw out our purpose. And we're left clueless. And so what do we do with our lives? Well, we waste our time building our lives on sand, as it were. Building little sand castles. Castles of career that will just vanish before our eyes. We build castles with, with money and with fame and with all of the things that the world tries to offer us, and then in a moment, they're obliterated, wiped out. John Piper, the American preacher, talks about how people just waste their retirement collecting shells and, and buying boats, wasting their life, suppressing this truth. So what do I want you to know tonight? I want each soul that is in the meeting house tonight to know that you have a purpose, that you've been made by our God, and that you've been made for relationship with him, so that you will know him, and that you will come, and then that you will worship him. That is part of your purpose on this earth. To realize that our lives are part of the great tapestry of history, of God's history, and that they're infinitely important. And so what does God do tonight? He stands and he says, come and get to know me. He calls us to come into relationship with him. But that's not all. Our second point, and much more brief, enjoying God. We know him, but then we have to enjoy him. Imagine this. Imagine we have 100 tins of custard in the house, right? But no one has ever told us how to open up these tins of custard. This will only work if you like custard, by the way. So imagine it's some sort of food that you like. And you have 100 tins, but no one's ever showed you how to get into them. You, you, you've looked at it. You've tried to screw it open. You've, you, you just can't get into it. There's none of those little self-open little flaps on it, right? You're stuck. And then someone hands you a tin opener. You see the tin opener and, and you get to know the tin opener and you, you know how it works and twists and moves. So now you know the tin opener. But you haven't enjoyed it, sure you haven't. You haven't enjoyed what it's about to give you until someone shows you that you have to put the tin opener on the tin and crack it in and hope that you get it right. And then you start to twist around and sometimes you have to go and do it again to get it right. So that you can enjoy the contents. Knowing God and then enjoying God. If it just stops at knowing, that's not enough. But we have to then glorify him, he talks about. How to magnify him, how to make him great, how to enjoy him and who he is. And that's why whenever we get to see Jesus on the pages of Scripture, whenever we come along to the men and women's Bible study or we come along to church on a Sunday and we hear someone preach or pray the words that we find in Scripture, whenever we talk about encounters that Jesus had with people just like us, what does it do? It fills our hearts to overflowing. We start to burst with who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he's like. And as we see the characteristics of who he is, that he is a, a God of love, well, that fills us up. 
And then we find out that he's a God of grace. And we think that we're full, but he fills us up all over again. And then we find out that he's a God of mercy and a God of patience and a God who's interested in us and a God who's willing to forgive us no matter what sin we have committed, no matter what mess we've made in our lives, that he doesn't exclude us, but he says, this is for you. I'm for you. All eternity is for you. The new heavens and the new earth is for you. Peace is for you. Forgiveness. Joy. These are all yours. And then he goes on. And he says, they're not just yours as some foreign citizens, but I'm going to adopt you into my very family. So our Father in heaven says, now you're sons and you're daughters of mine. See how the, the richness of who our God is. As we start to know him, it flows over into us and it starts to fill us up and it can't, we can't help but enjoy it. To know God through his Son. To see the designer's plan, as it were, for our lives. To understand that he has come to save us from our sin. But look at verse 23. What do we do in our foolishness? Verse 23, we exchange this glorious good news, the glory of the immortal God, the one who has made us, who has breathed life into us. We exchange his glory. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's not us. That's what we're born into. Having exchanged the glory of our God. It's like we had living water, and what do we do? We exchange it for dust and ash. It's like we had gold, and we exchange it for muck. Enjoy God. And whenever we start to see this, every task that we have in life, everything that we do, every step that we take, every interaction that we have with people, it all fills in and we're able to see how God has a purpose in everything that we do so that he would be glorified, so that we live for him and bring glory to his name in our creativity and how we design and how we think in the things that we read and the things that we write and the things that we listen to and enjoy all of these things given to us by God. No meaningless task. And that's a whole other sermon series as we could look at Genesis. What are we made to do then and to be? But enjoy God. Enjoy Him. Finally, then reflect God. If we know Him and then we start to enjoy Him, our call is to reflect this out. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We're not ashamed. This is a message that changes people's lives. And we heard a, a little glimpse of it tonight in Neil's story, how the gospel has changed his life. And what should we do? We should reflect that. We should, we should show people who Jesus is in our lives. A friend of mine went to university and he traveled through his university degree with a colleague in his class 
and they stepped out into the working world. So they were together for three years, and then they stepped out into the working world, and they worked in the same firm together. He was a Christian. She wasn't. And then one evening, as they were making their way back from a, a, a meeting for work and on their way back to the office, they got chatting, and the girl asked, are you, are you one of these Christians? And he said, yes. And she, she said, well, tell me a little bit about that. What does that actually, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? He started to explain it to her. And she was fuming. She said, why, why have you never told me this before? Four years we have journeyed through class together. Four years we have interacted with one another. We have gone for coffees. We have sat in the same room. And you have never told me about this. You've never told me about my purpose. About why I was made. And who made me. And what he made me for. Why have you kept this from me? Reflect God. We want to tell other people not to exchange the glory of our majestic God. And so as we close, what is our purpose? It's to live in such a way as to make infinite value of Jesus. To make the the value of Jesus more plain than anything else. That our life is not about comfort. It's not about escaping suffering. It's not about maximizing the amount of pleasure that we can have in our lives. It's not about money or fame. We have been made, you have been made for so much more. So with Jesus, just like that opening story, we don't say, is this it? But with Jesus, for those of us tonight who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, who are enjoying him, what do we say? This is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. And if you tonight are here, and this is all new to you, and you think, I, I can see this for the first time, what do you need to do? You need to repent of that thing that we talked about called sin. Say sorry for your sin. And trust the Savior for the very first time. Say, I can see you. I can see what you've done for me. How you've rescued me. And I want to live for you. Come to him tonight. Make good choices. Don't waste your life. And if you are a Christian, how do you do this? How do you know God? Well, spend time quietly, alone, and with other people getting to know him enjoying him then as you encounter him in the pages of scripture as you hear about what he's doing in each other's lives learn to trace his hand in all of these things to see how awesome he is know him enjoy him and then reflect him as you share him with other people so what is our purpose to know God and to enjoy him and then to reflect on duller people. He has made us. We are his. And so tonight, know your maker and experience all that he has for you.